Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning, Candeo. My name uh, is Jordan Perhoda. I'm one of the <clears throat> pastors on staff here at Candeo. And uh, we've got a bit of news in the Perhoda household. Uh, if you were at our May members event, this won't be new information to you, but uh, we planted a church about three years ago. Our church did. And uh, Gainesville, Florida, Salt Church. Uh, we sent out Paul Sabino, his family, and others. Uh, and he's been co-leading that church with a guy named uh, Ryan Hill, who came from Cedar Rapids Veritas, one of our uh, partner churches. And Ryan recently accepted a different job within our network, so he'll be moving back to Ames and, and taking that role within the Salt Network. In the midst of that void, um, Paul offered me a job. And as Casey and I prayed about that, we recently uh, accepted that offer. So this is not my goodbye sermon. Uh, we are not leaving yet. We will be here most of the summer, uh, but we will be packing up a moving truck in the beginning of August uh, to head down south. And as you can imagine, um, there's just been a lot of emotions in the Prahoda household over the last month or so. I think that's a fair way to say it. There's just been a lot of tears. Um, we are excited about the opportunity that's in front of us in so many different ways, but there's just a reality of the fact that both of us are Iowa kids through and through. I mean, our family's all from Iowa, all within two hours. Um, so saying goodbye to family, that's a very real thing. And then just the realities of saying goodbye to this church family who we love uh, so much. And although there's like some certainty, you know, going down there, you know, we got a job and a location and some friends down there, different things. There's also just a lot of uncertainty. And I don't know about you, but in my heart, uh, when things get very uncertain, my heart gets very anxious. I like to be in control of things, just how my heart works. So a lot of emotions, some anxiety creeping in. And I just want to ask the question this morning. Uh, I know not all of you will be moving out of state this summer. But what do we do when we have anxious thoughts or emotions or those feelings? How do we interact with God when we're in that spot? Well, I love Psalm 13 because for me, Psalm 13 is just kind of a model prayer of what David showed us on what it looks like to interact with God when we're in that spot. So we're going to unpack David's prayer this morning. Uh, we're going to show how that maybe that applies to our life. And then actually, we're going to do something a little different to end our time. We're going to spend some time in ex extended corporate prayer, really looking forward to that. Uh, but I want to read uh, the first chunk of this passage again. Kind of, I know it was just read over us. I want to repeat this uh, so we can hear this again. In verse 1, it says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your, hate, your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. So you might ask the question, well, that seems heavy. What is going on in David's life right now? And the short answer is, uh, we don't know. Like, there's, there's not an event that's attached to this prayer necessarily. Uh, but he does talk about enemies, and we know who some of David's enemies are as we read through the Old Testament. You know, obviously at one point, Goliath was an enemy, but, the, but Saul, the king before him, at one point hunted him down, tried to kill him. Uh, at one point, his sons, like his own family, became his enemy. And obviously the nations that he was conquering, pursuing at that time saw David as an enemy. So um, some of you might feel like you have enemies in this life. My guess is David takes the cake, you know, as people are hunting him down, trying to kill him, right? 
if that's you, like if, that, if someone's hunting you down, try to kill you, like talk to us. That's not a normal thing. This is, but this is like the, the normal uh, part of David's life. It just always seemed like somebody was hunting him down. So verse two, he points to the enemies. And, and some people would say that, that that's maybe the reason that David is crying out to God. Others might point to actually to verse three, you know, restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. And they'll say, well, maybe there's like a serious illness going on in David's life that's kind of life-threatening. Again, we don't know for sure what's going on, but that's not the point. The point is the prayer. David here is at the end of his rope. He just, he feels helpless. He feels lost. He feels like God has forgotten him, abandoned him. He uses language like how long, four times. He asks, using those first two words, how long? How long will you forget me forever? Hide your face from me. Now, he's not being impatient here. He, he just feels like there's no light at the end of this tunnel that's in front of him. He's being honest with God. There is an intensity to his emotions. He's confused, looking for answers, feels like God has forgotten him. And he knows that if that's true, if God has actually forgotten him, that is really bad news. Because if, if the threat of an enemy dominating them or, or some kind of serious illness, if that's a reality in his life and God really has left David, he's in a really bad spot. And so he's, he's crying out to God here because he feels all alone. He feels like he's on an island. And he asks these questions in the first two verses, how long? And then in verse three and four, he almost starts pleading with the Lord. Consider me, Lord, answer me, restore brightness to my eyes. He's turning to the one who is all powerful and who can actually do something about David's situation. David knows if God doesn't act, he is in trouble. He's in a tough spot. It has to be the Lord who delivers him. And as you hear and as you hear David's words here, as you hear the tone of his voice, he's, David's in a really fragile spot here. And you might read that, and if you know anything about the Old Testament, and specifically the person of David, that might strike you as kind of odd. Because this is King David we're talking about. The, the guy who grabbed a stone and slayed Goliath. And, and the one as he's confronting Goliath, kind of gives his resume in 1 Samuel 17, said, yeah, you know, if a lion or bear you know, try to get one of our sheep, I'd chase him down, kill him with my bare hands. That David, or the David in 2 Samuel, who's, who's taking his army to, to crush the Moabites and Ammonites and, and Philistines. This is King David we're talking about. But that same David in chapter 13, guess he's swimming in, in anxiety here. And ultimately, I believe this should just give us comfort because I think we can all empathize. You've likely been in a dark place before where it kind of feels like God has forgotten you or abandoned you. You feel like there's no end of the tunnel. You feel confused. And you, you keep asking the question over and over, where is God in all of this? Where is he? And slowly over time, you start storing up maybe anxious concerns and you start asking some how long questions. How long, Lord, do I have to wait for a job or a house? How long am I going to be in this financial situation? 
How long until I find my future husband or wife? How long until you finally give our family children? How long until you heal the sickness that is clearly in front of us? How long until you answer that prayer I have been praying for years? If we're honest, all of us either currently are maybe in this spot or we have been in this spot. And what Psalm 13 is doing is it's just David throwing his hand in the air going, I've been there. Mighty King David, been there. So what does David do with all these thoughts and emotions? What's he do? Well, let's keep reading verse five and six. He says this, but I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. That feels very different than the first four verses, right? First four verses, he's expressing his feelings to the Lord. And then here, it almost seems like he pivots. And at first glance, as you're reading this, it, sh- it almost feels like David's contradicting himself. Just look at this passage with me. Go to like verse one. David says, it, it feels like God has forgotten me. But at the same time in verse five, he says, look at God's faithful love in my life. Verse one, it feels like God's faith has been hidden from me. And at the same time in verse six, he says, it feels like God has treated me generously. Verse two, he's full of like anxiety and agony. In verse five, he's singing about his heart rejoicing. Again, in verse two, it talks about his enemies dominating him. And in verse five, he talks about God delivering him. And the crazy thing in all of this is you got these six verses and he's almost, he is saying all this in the same breath. I I really appreciated my, one of my seminary professors, Matt Lapine, as he was unpacking this passage said, I don't think David got to verse four and, and went and played his harp for 30 minutes and then came back and wrote verses five and six. It, it's, he is saying it all in the same breath, which just causes us to pull back a bit and just ask the simple question, what in the world is going on? David's contradicting himself. Is he in a good spot, not a good spot? Where is he at? And this is where I really want to slow down. I want to unpack this together. Because I think this, if we can get this, as believers, I think this will have an, a powerful impact as we live this life walking with the Lord. So my family is a, a boating family. We, um, we love boating. So we know the whole world of buoys and anchors and docks and all of that stuff. Uh, and there's something called a, a mooring buoy. And the whole purpose of a mooring uh, system is essentially keeping something tethered to either the ground underneath or the shoreline so that the buoy or boat doesn't get swayed all over the place. So I brought a picture of this. Um, I'm a pretty simple guy. So a fifth graders computer graphic drawing of this was like helpful for me. Um, and if you're a fifth grader in the room, that wasn't supposed to be offensive. This is really helpful. Um, but this is a boat attached to a buoy and you got a light chain coming down attached to a heavy chain. And it's, it's anchored to some kind of mooring anchor, the word block there. Uh, typically it's some kind of huge concrete block or sometimes it can be what's called a mushroom anchor, but ultimately it's a really heavy anchor that stays in place. And these can get up to 500 pounds, if not more. And the whole purpose of this whole system 
is that when the winds and waves crash, when, when big boats come flying by and it, and it hits the boat and the buoy, that yeah, they might sway a bit, but they're anchored to something much deeper underneath, this heavy and movable anchor. Cody hinted at this last week, but I really believe our hearts are much like this buoy mooring system. I think we have feelings that like the buoy in the boat, when the wind and waves of life hit, we can get tossed all over the place. But I also believe at the same time, we as believers have our firm beliefs about who God is, his promises and his character, which is a heavy anchor that anchors us in the storm. Remember reading a, a fictional book a little while ago called uh, Wisdom Hunter. Uh, it's about this pastor named Jason Faircloth. And he, uh, he has a horrible tragedy in his life and kind of goes off the rails with his faith and is, is on this journey, the whole book. And at one point, he runs into this old sage, Yoma. And uh, Yoma, as a believer, is just patiently walking through Jason and all of his grief and turmoil. And at one point in the book, they just kind of sit down. And actually, the, the passage they open to is Psalm 13. And Yoma unpacks essentially what I just unpacked for you. And I thought this was really helpful. Uh, this was Jason's response. The psalm now clicked in Jason's head. And he looked again at the verses. So you're saying the apparent discrepancies in the chapter are simply the differences between David's feelings and David's beliefs. You're saying David felt like God had forgotten him while at the same time he really believed God's love for him was unceasing. Yoma quietly nodded. Jason continued with excitement. David felt God had hidden his face from him, but he believed God was somehow being good to him behind the scenes. He felt the pains of inner sorrow, but he believed he had every reason in the world to sing. He felt his enemy was defeating him, but he believed God's unseen hand would somehow actually deliver him from that enemy. And Jason's face shone with discovery. Here's what Jason saw. He saw King David have beliefs about who God is and his promises that anchored him when the negative feelings wanted to blow him away. He was expressing emotion, but he was not letting those emotions rule or govern his life. He was boldly planting himself in the truths of who God is and courageously speaking to himself in the midst of his trial. So what does that mean for us? I think very simply, it means that we can and should bring our thoughts, feelings, and emotions to God. First of all, he is God of the universe. I think he can handle our human feelings and emotions, he can handle it. But secondly, and I'd say more importantly, he is our heavenly father. He wants to hear from us. Our, like, and not like just like the pat answers or what. He wants to hear what, what our honest feelings are. He wants us to bring those to him. And like any good father to get down on one knee and have his children feel heard, bring those things to the Lord. And as you do, anchor yourselves. Anchor your soul in the faithful love and promises of who God is. Scott Rieger in our elder meeting said that the devil, what he wants is he wants to get our eyes fixed off of God, his promises and who he is. 
And he's so good at that. And when he, when he does that, it puts us in a place of, of despair, of helplessness, or shaken. But David, he does the opposite here. Yes, he has those things, but he's not, he's not looking to his own strength or his own circumstances to anchor himself. He's looking to God himself. So I just want to ask the, the simple question, how does this practically look for you and I today? Well, I got a handful of thoughts here. The first would be this. Remember God's promises in his word. Again, I, I can't pretend to know what David was actually thinking in some of these events or what, the, again, the event actually was. But I can't help but imagine that at some point in the midst of this, he was thinking back on God's promises. Now, God's scripture is still being written at this time, but he's probably going back to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, but, and, he's, and he's thinking probably of some of these promises, like, like Exodus 34, as the Lord passes in front of Moses and proclaims this, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Or maybe he, he was thinking of Deuteronomy 31.6, where God says, be strong and courageous, don't be terrified or afraid of them, these nations you're about to conquer. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. How about that for a promise? God proclaimed his faithful love and promised his children he will never abandon them. And my guess is David was rooting himself in those promises in that moment. And so if you ask, well, what does that mean for us today? I would say, honestly, it goes back to last, last week in Psalm 1. We need to be trees planted by streams of water, saturated in God's word. And one of the reasons is when trials come, we have those things locked in our brain, in our mind. This is why uh, memorization and meditation of scripture is so important. What Donald Whitney would say, Whitney would say was, is that the Holy Spirit enters your mental arsenal and looks around for available weapons in those moments. We need to memorize and meditate on God's word. Remember his promises. The second thing I would say is this, and this is, guys, just, this is very personal. Like, this is something that's been so helpful for me. Remember God's faithfulness in your own life. Remembering God's past faithfulness helps you persevere in present suffering. Present suffering. Uh, and again, for David, I, I don't know everything going on, but as he's kind of pivoting in five and six, I just kind of wonder if he's thinking back on his life, thinking about how the Lord delivered him from this huge individual named Goliath who was looking to kill him, or how he delivered him from Saul who was pursuing David, looking to kill him, or even maybe just his general track to becoming king. I, I don't know, but he's probably going back to those moments and those landmarks going, man, the Lord has been faithful to me in my life. And guys, for me, I, I'm a fickle person that forgets quickly God's faithfulness in my own life. And so I just put something in place. You can take this if you steal if you want. Uh, but for me, I, um, I created a Google Doc and I titled it uh, Answered Prayer and Evidences of God's Grace. It's a really long title for a Google Doc, but for me, it's helpful because what I do in that is about once a month, I'll go to this and I have different categories of, um, you know, salvation stories, stories of our own family, of health, financial situations, whatever it is. And I've just, over time, kind of, when God does something, I just want to put it in there so I don't forget. 
And about once a month, I go back to that dock to just remind myself, whether I'm in a heavy season or not, just remind myself consistently of God's faithfulness in my life. Maybe one way to do that. Another way, uh, I was talking to Sarah Herring this past week, and she said that a friend of theirs in a very um, hard season of life uh, gave them a jar of, of rocks, stones, uh, similar to maybe Joshua 4, when they grab the stones out of the center of the Jordan and, and use that as a way to remember God's faithfulness. And on each of the rocks, there's just kind of a word or a name um, that showed God's faithfulness in their life. And so the Herrings took that, ran with it. And, and so now every year, I mean, once, multiple times throughout the year, they'll just, they'll write a word that reminds them of God's faithfulness or a name that reminds them of God's faithfulness and they'll throw it in the jar. And Sarah says every now and again, they just kind of dump the rocks out and go through and remember what God has done for them. And, you know, as she said, it started with a mason jar. It's now a vase. They're going to have to find a bigger container here sometime soon. All I'm saying is find a way in your life to remember God's faithfulness in your life. Cultivate rhythms and practices of remembering and being thankful. At least for me, that has been an anchor for me when the wind and waves of life hit. So remember God's promises, remember his faithfulness. And the last thing I would say is this. Remember who you're talking to. And I don't mean that in some weird condescending way. I'm just saying in, in a very gentle, reminding way, remember who you're talking to. When, when you're in a trial and you, you think about God, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Is it something that's pretty abstract, like this God that's out here isn't doing anything? Is it kind of this, God's this mean puppeteer just kind of doing all these things in my life? Or do you think of him as who he really is? Your father who genuinely loves and cares for you. I think uh, for us, we need to anchor ourselves in the reality that we are children of God. I think if you can do this, it should, it should change everything in these moments. It, even just the way you approach scripture. You're no longer approaching scripture as a, as a skeptic asking the question, well, if God is really good or if God really loves me, then we'll see or we'll see in my life. Rather, we come to scripture as children of God knowing he loves us. And so we say, because God loves me, this must be true in his word and in my life. When we walk through trials, we, we have these anchors to run to, who God is, his promises, what he's already done in our life. Like I said, um, you know, we're in the middle of this Florida decision and all of those things. There's been a lot of emotions, not only uh, that we're leaving family, but, but also just the things that come with moving, right? Selling a house, buying a house, and a million other things that come with it. Uh, and in the midst of all of this, as I, I, I can almost see it coming. I can see my heart starting to do this, starting to get anxious, worried. My shoulders start drifting towards my ears. I just, ah, so in this season, as I saw it coming, I, I actually went back to the Psalms. In my own quiet time, I, I just went back to Psalm 1, and I've just been reading through the Psalms about maybe a third of the way through. But I did that because I knew what my heart needed to hear. It needed to hear truths in the Psalms about who God is over and over and over. And so I've been reading through it, and, and truths like um, God's faithful love, those two words paired together, I'm seeing over and over in the Psalms. Or the fact that he will never abandon us. Or that he is my strength, my refuge, my hiding place, 
He is my helper. Or the reality that I read a psalm recently that said, do not be afraid because God is with you. That one word with, you could spend an hour meditating on that. God is with us. We're gonna talk about this next week. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need in him. This is why I go to the Psalms because those truths are anchors in my life when emotions and uncertainty and anxiety start to well up. So for you, is there something in your life that you're feeling anxious about? Feel like there's no hope? You're confused about, you're drowning in fear or guilt, or you just, you just don't know what to do. If that's you, what Psalm 13 is pressing us to is to not run away from God in that, but to run towards him. Don't run away from your father. Jump into his loving arms. Bring emotions, feelings to him. Sure, yes, but then rest in his promises. God is in control, not you, not me, and that should give us peace in this life. He will not go back on his word and his promises. Now, is God gonna work on his time and maybe not so much our time? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a truth and, and reality. That we're not promised to be delivered from whatever it is instantly. Lord might keep us in that spot for a while for his purposes. But at the end of the day, we trust in the promise keeper who will never leave us. I wanna end by uh, reading a passage that's uh, probably fam pretty familiar to most of you. But in it, I think is an incredible promise that we can often miss. This is uh, after Jesus rose from the grave. He's speaking to his disciples, often called the Great Commission. It says this, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. I think oftentimes like, that's what we think about when we think of Great Commission, which we should. It's an incredible command that we need to live out in this lifetime. But I think sometimes we forget or miss this promise at the very end. And Jesus says, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. With us always, will not abandon us. You see, in Psalm 13, David felt like he was abandoned, but God was really there the whole time. The same actually cannot be said, can be said of Jesus Christ. The same thing actually isn't true. Because a chapter earlier, Jesus was on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that wasn't just a feeling, that was reality in Jesus's life. He had not only been abandoned by his disciples, but by God the Father, so that as he left the Son, he could execute his wrath on the Son, like we sang about this morning. Jesus was abandoned by the Father so that we never would be. He secured our salvation. Christian, our anchor is very objective. It's a person and his name is Jesus Christ. We are tethered to an immovable object and an unwavering anchor. And Matthew 28 shows us that we have nothing to fear, that he is with us. He is holding on to us and he will never let us go. We're, we're not promised in this life that we'll never have trials. Actually, we're promised the opposite. Don't mention that this morning. In this life, you will have troubles. There will be wind and waves that hit you in different ways in this life, cause you to sway a bit. But our confidence at the end of the day is in our anchor. It's in Jesus who has promised that he will be with us. And so we rest in that promise this morning. 
Because I just believe one of the greatest ways that we can remind ourselves of truth like this is to pray through not only scripture, but specifically the book of Psalms. And so that's what we're actually gonna do this morning. We're gonna pray through Psalm 13. And so I'm gonna invite the band back up. Um, but I just wanna answer the simple question, well, why pray through the Psalms? What's the, what's the big deal about doing that? I, I think this is a powerful thing that all believers need to learn how to do. But I just ultimately believe that the best way for us to talk to God is through scripture. I believe that whoever starts the conversation typically guides the conversation. And I always want the Lord to start and guide my conversations. So I'd say that, but I'd also say, I love the Psalms guys, again, because it's people bringing their emotions to the table, but then rooting themselves in who God is. It's just a model over and over of what that should look like in our lives. And finally, I love praying through the Psalms because it presses us to seek God's face. We are called to, I believe, seek, his, seek God's face before we seek his hand. Everything flows out of sitting in the presence with the Lord. Uh, one helpful pattern I'll use when I pray, especially with others, is kind of two categories, that he is worthy and we are needy. And we're actually going to pray that this morning. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.